G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. I think you'll be fascinated by the sorts of things we'll talk about over this coming hour. One of those elements that we sometimes find confusing or even confronting in our Christian walk is the idea that we're a part of God's grand plan. And for many of us, it can be a huge relief to finally appreciate where we fit in God's overall purposes. The mission of God is demonstrated in the first followers of Jesus who lived out what Jesus had called them to be. Our special guest today says when Jesus rose from the dead, he encountered a band of defeated, disillusioned and divided followers. And he suggests that many of us today are a little like that. So how do we see ourselves in the 21st century, in light of God's purposes. Well, our special guest today is Steve Addison. His new book is called Your Part in God's Story, 40 Days from Genesis to Revelation. He lives in Melbourne where he and his wife Michelle lead a mission agency called MOVE. He's devoted to training and deploying workers who multiply disciples and churches. Steve Addison, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Steve, good to be with you. Right at the start, let me ask you your new book, and you've written a number of books, but your new one is this written for like Christian leaders, or does this book embrace ordinary followers of Christ? Well, I, I like your introduction. You know that that scene where Jesus rises from the dead. I mean, where are the leaders? <laughs> They've all run away. They they were terrified. They failed him, and so he goes to the women. And now they have a story of the resurrection. Um, you know, Jesus gathers back together, not just the 12, but the men and women who, some of whom had let him down, but they're just ordinary folks like you and I. And over a period of 40 days, he restores them. He gets them back on their feet. And then he prepares them for a worldwide mission. And this is everybody, you know, when the spirit comes at Pentecost, uh, you know, it's really clear there, there, there are men and women, young and old, you know, wealthy and poor. Um, they, they all receive uh, this, this commission from Jesus and, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's nice that the whole story begins with people just like us who have struggles, who have let the Lord down except he's the one who restores us and gets us ready, shows us what God's purposes are. Well, let's talk purposes, because for a lot of people, this is actually quite confusing, and it can be confronting mm. when we talk about the purposes of God, because we're all listening for that soundbite that says, oh, that's what the purpose of God is. But mm. I guess there's many purposes of God, and uh, you've got to be able to, in some ways, uh, you know, embrace 
those purposes and then somehow or other they settle in our hearts so that we appreciate what our role and our purpose is. So how do you describe yeah. the purposes or the many purposes of God? Well, that's why we went on a, or we go on a journey from Genesis to Revelation, because this is what Jesus did uh, with this defeated band of disciples. He said, okay, guys, the Spirit's coming, and then you're going to the ends of the earth. Here's what I want you to do. But over these 40 days before I return to the Father, I want to take you from Genesis to Malachi and teach you about God's purposes about the, why the Messiah had to come, why he suffered and died and rose again, and why this good news has got to go to the world. That's, that was Jesus' agenda. So we just start in, in Genesis, and we drop in on 40 key moments between Genesis, and now we can go to Revelation, that gives us a glimpse of the purposes of God, but there is thread that unites, there is one story that unites all these stories together. So there's both the sort of great diversity, but there's also a heart to this story. I mean, you can, you can pick it up in, everything's in Genesis 1 to 3. You know, the, the entry of, of sin and rebellion into the world, God's uh, judgment on that, but then his mercy and his promise that a deliverer one day a descendant of the woman would come and crush the serpent and restore things to how they should be. Well, you get all the way to the, you know, and we drop in on the book of Revelation about three times and we see, well, how is this story that began in Genesis, how is it coming to conclusion in the book of Revelation? And, and, and there's God on his throne. You know, his story is the story of spreading the glory of his name over all the earth. That was the original intention for the man and woman in the garden. Now Jesus has won the victory, and his glory is spread not just over the earth, but over the universe. And the lamb that is slain is, um, is being worshipped, sits upon the throne, every tribe and tongue. You know, that's where history's going. We know the end of the story. That's the great thing, Neil. Are we let in in a significant way in the Bible? And I guess when you start to talk about those images in the book of Revelation, we're talking about where God's eternal purposes may be leading because sometimes people separate the eternal purpose of God with his time purposes, uh, these things that are happening in this thing we call mm. time that happened between Genesis and Revelation, there is a certain sense we're given a glimpse, aren't we, of what God's eternal yeah. purpose is in the book of Revelation. Yes, and, and, and that's why, you know, we drop in on Abraham. So there's a very sort of simple story, Abraham and Sarah and their ups and downs in life. And in, in Genesis, you really get into the detail of their life. Why are we doing that? Because God chooses ordinary people to fulfill his purposes and he shows them what their part is in the story. So there's nothing really to commend. I mean, Abraham's background is, is uh, idolatry and worshipping other gods. Well, God just grabs a hold of him, but he doesn't leave him there. He's shaping him over the whole course and shaping Sarah the whole course of their lives so their story is intersecting with God's story. And out of all that, of course, he, he, he raises up a people, the people of Israel, 
And again, there's turmoil there. There's slavery. There are battles. You know, there's sort of the land and all of this is going on. But their story as a nation is intersecting God's story because he wants to spread his glory throughout the whole earth through his people. And it's always loving and gracious choices, whether it's Jacob or Isaiah, when he sees the glory of God in the temple, you know, we go and we look at Isaiah 6 and he's just devastated by the glory of a holy God. So he chooses these ordinary people, but he doesn't leave us there. He's shaping us. This is how we make sense of our life. You know, our individual stories are intersecting with this great story that God is is unfolding and is fulfilled in Christ. So when Christ comes to the earth, he, he just chooses ordinary people. They weren't leaders. They were fishermen or tax collectors. You know, at different times, there were women who were traveling in, in the missionary band and supporting the ministry financially because they, they came from a wealthy background. You know, and, and he picks up these people along the way, and, and he has this, this deep relationship with them, but it's, it's more than just about their happiness and their purpose. It's about he is sort of weaving us into this great story that's unfolding through time. When we talk relationship, is this a part of the purposes of God? Because, you know, God was conversing with Adam and Eve in the garden, mm-hmm. and uh, this yeah. relationship was so very powerful because there was a, a break in that relationship with the mm-hmm. entry of sin. Is this yeah. one of God's purposes, the idea of yeah. a relational uh, connection to humanity? Yeah, it's at the very heart. You know, they, they should have tossed out the snake. You know, they were put on earth to, to rule in, with God's image. And when the enemy came, they should have chased him from the garden and then got on with the, the, the sort of job of pushing out the, the boundaries of Eden throughout the whole of creation to the glory of God. But they failed. Now, God said, you do this and death is the fruit. But death doesn't come immediately. Spiritual death does. But he, re- you know, this beautiful, beautiful uh, image you get in, in, in uh, Genesis 3. You know, he comes walking in the garden saying, where are you? He comes seeking us, even though we deserve death. And he, he, he longs to restore But it's not just about my or your individual salvation. It's about we have a part to play. That's why we've called it, you know, your part in God's story. Find out God's story. And then just as Jesus did with the disciples, expect Jesus to reveal to you through the scriptures um, what your part is and, and prepare you for the coming of the Spirit and that longing God has to make himself known throughout the whole world. So this is something that deeply includes every individual in the love and purposes of God, but it's, it's even greater than just, you know, our blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. So we have these formations in the book of Genesis, this relational mm-hmm. idea, and as you say, as you start to tell the story of Abraham, the formation of a people being set apart to be God's people. What do we do then with the New Testament? Because, you know, God establishes a people for himself in the Old Testament. What happens in the New Testament? 
Well, we, we, the answer is Jesus. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so there he is in the wilderness following his baptism, and he is under the temptation of the enemy. He is the new Adam who, who is victorious over the serpent. He is the new Israel who does not uh, rebel against God in the wilderness. And so Jesus fulfills all those purposes of God in, in, in Adam and in, in Israel, in the prophets. They're all fulfilled in him. And then he says, okay, the new Israel made up of both Gentiles and Jews, we're going to, to begin afresh, and, and it comes through repentance and faith, but you will be a special people to reveal his glory to the world. And so... Jesus fulfills all of God's purposes, but he doesn't abandon the God's desire for a people, for his own possession and his own name, which is what's leading up to in the book of Revelation. And we see, say, in the book of Acts, we drop in in the book of Acts a number of times. What's happening? Well, they're just doing what Jesus did. They're connecting with people. The gospel's changing lives. They're making disciples. And wherever the, the word of God goes in the power of the spirit, the fruit is, is, is disciples learning to follow Jesus in community, learning to obey his commands. And these are the new people of God, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. Um, it's not replacing Israel. It's fulfilling that call on Israel. If we think of sin as being a disruption, as we could look mm -hmm. at from Genesis, and then look to the New Testament, Jesus' arrival, and let's never understate the magnificence of his arrival, because mm. this is a point where restoration arrives for that disruption. Yeah. Is that a way to, to be able to articulate yeah. that? And here's the exciting thing. We see tangible restoration in this life, but in the book of Revelation, um, heaven and earth become one, and that new reality actually surpasses Eden. And it goes beyond everything, you know, that God intended is fulfilled. But, of course, he's, he's the God of more. <laughs> and so, you know, the picture of heaven that we get is it's, it's like, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a garden and it's a city. Um, it's the place, it doesn't need a temple because God himself will be the temple for his people. So we actually transcend even the best that God originally had planned. Steve, your new book has a 40-day challenge for mm. readers. How does that work? I know some will be thinking, wow, I've never heard this spoken about in this clarity before. Wonderful way that you're able mm. to articulate these things. You've got a 40-day challenge. Uh, these 40, it's a little bit like they're devotionals, and you've got opportunity in your book to be able to plot and map and, uh, and describe what's happening to you in those 40 days. How does this challenge mm. work for ordinary people who are saying, I want to understand where I fit in God's purposes? Yeah, well, the first thing is to be encouraged. This is what Jesus did with his early disciples. So we can, he rose from the dead. He's given us the word and the spirit. We can go this journey with him. And then we can do that as an individual. It may be 40 consecutive days or some people are doing it. I'll, I'll go five days a week, you know, and, and each day I'll read the passage 
Um, I'll read a, a bit of a reflection that I've written, and then there are some, some questions that help you chew on what God's saying through the Scriptures. Questions like, um, you know, what, what does this teach us about God and his purposes? You know, how does God shape the people that he calls to play a part in his story? Um, you know, what, what is God saying to you through this story and what do you need to do next? Um, people will do that individually, but what's happening, we're also encouraging where you, you know at least one other person or a few other people and say, look, I'm going to do that 40-day challenge and let's get together once, once a week. Maybe it takes six or seven weeks. Well, we'll get together once a week. We'll report in how we're lear- what we're learning and how we're going. We'll do one of the studies together and uh, we'll pray for one another and go again. Um, and so if people go to movements.net, um, they can find out how to sign up for the 40-day challenge. And it's also up the back of the book. There's some details on how to sign up for the challenge. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We're talking about the purposes of God this hour. Our special guest is Steve Addison. His new book is called Your Part in God's Story, 40 Days from Genesis to Revelation. Steve, we'll take some calls in just a few moments and uh, our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. When we said at the beginning, sometimes people get confused, even confronted in talking about the purposes of God and where we fit in all of that. Sometimes perhaps some of that confusion comes because we think about promises of God uh, and the will of God. And, uh, you know, are those things different definitions to understanding the purposes of God? This is where I guess it could get a bit confusing for some people. How do you describe uh, separating out and uh, getting an idea where those purposes of God are so that we can see where we fit? Yeah, I think the purposes are going to be the overall big picture that is going to come through as, 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 uh, as we read the scriptures and understand them. The will of God for us individually is, is going to be sort of varied depending on our situation and how we're going to pursue those purposes. Um, you know, at, at the coal phase, I, I keep going back to Abraham and Sarah, how ordinary their story is. You know, they're just a couple. They're struggling with infertility. They've got these promises. They know the purposes of God is is to raise up a people who will be a blessing to the nations. And there Abraham and Sarah are totally beyond it in terms of having children. And Abraham sort of fumbles around trying to sort it out himself. He makes some serious mistakes. You know, there's some heartache. But what gets Abraham and Sarah across the line? At the end, they keep learning and they learn to trust the word and character of God. So it's messy. These, they are not giants in the sense they are that, that God has shaped them over the whole course of their life. And you could talk about Paul or Peter. Um, you know, even, you know, Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered, Hebrews tells us. Uh, he learned hard lessons along the way. So there's this micro aspect of what's happening right now. And often we feel like nothing's happening right now. Um, and yet 
we have to stand on the Word of God, on the character of God, and wait for Him. We can't force His hand when it comes to timing. We're taking calls. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Steve in Penrith in Sydney. Hello, Steve. Welcome along. G'day. G'day, Chief. How are you? Good. Steve, what are your thoughts? Good. good. My question, and it's been one that's been swirling around my head for ages, is what do you guys think of... Um, oh, the word eludes me even before I said... Um, um, going surrogacy, you know, like when I know the, you know, the, you know, the gay debate and all that and shouldn't do that. And I don't think that's right either. But when, um, when, um, oh man, I'm getting my muddle, words muddled. Um, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. What do you guys think of that? Well, maybe a little off track in so far as the topic know, today, Steve, but uh, but let's uh, let's just uh, talk. You, you're saying the word surrogacy. Uh, well, uh, there's going to be some issues, of course, in there. Uh, the idea of buying and selling people uh, for your benefit may actually be an ethical question. We might address that on another day. But, uh, you know, in a sense here, and let just... Let me just bring Steve Addison into this. And mm. Steve, uh, you're not uh, here to, to address these sorts of ethical questions. We're mm. talking about the plans and purposes of God. But we are living in a world where a lot of things have gone wrong, gone bad. And the way we treat one another is not necessarily the way God had originally intended and is bringing about in a restoration. So when someone like Steve from Penrith gives us a call and mm. talks about uh, some of the stuff that are ethical challenges today, how do we fit those sorts? of things into the purposes of God. Yeah, always back to the scriptures. Uh, you'll you'll see, yes, uh, in one sense, uh, Abraham took the initiative and he had a child by the, the servant woman, Hagar. Um, that was never approved or supported. That was a, a, an act of unbelief. Uh, now, it was culturally acceptable in the day, but he shouldn't have done that. And yet God still works out his purposes, not just for Abraham and Sarah, but even for Hagar and Ishmael. So whatever we've done right or wrong in this life, um, the, the true guide is his, is his living word. Um, but when we've failed him and maybe we've, we've jumped in uh, and, and tried to manipulate things ourselves, he's a God of grace and forgiveness. Um, and will still work out his purposes, even in a broken, sinful world. So that's probably about as, as much as I'm qualified to say about that, that issue. Well, Steve... Um, but it's certainly a great story, Abraham and Sarah, to how, how does a couple before God wrestle with that issue of, of infertility? And how does God work even when they choose some options that aren't his will? And it is a surrogacy story from the scriptures. And, of course, Ishmael, who became the father of what we now know as the Arab nations. And uh, there's challenging things there in the, uh, the tensions and conflict with the people of Israel. So uh, there's some significant things that God was working out in his purposes that we didn't necessarily understand. We perhaps don't necessarily see the big picture in its wholeness now. How much do we need to understand of God's purposes and how much can we let God be in fulfilling what his ultimate purposes are, but we're aligning ourselves with them? What are your thoughts here for things that we don't know or that are hidden? 
Hmm. I think the 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 big issues are clear. You know, the Great Commission is clear. Uh, God's will on you know issues like sexual ethics or honesty or care for the poor. These things are clear. But then, with the Word and the Spirit and and the support of the whole body of Christ, we have to wrestle through. But Lord, what what are you wanting me to do in these areas? Um, you know, there's no. Uh, it's not as though we're going to find something, in, although people try and do it. When the culture shifts, let's find something in the scripture that never was there. Okay. Well, you're in trouble already if your life is not under the authority of God's living word. That's, that's the line that, you know, when, when Jesus is in that wilderness temptation, fulfilling God's call as the new Adam, as the new Israel, what's he doing? He's surrendering. He's the word of God, but he's surrendering to God's living word and saying, I will obey you. I will fulfill this mission. Even if I have to go to the cross, your way, not the enemy's way. And so Jesus knows what he needs. He's steeped in the Old Testament. He knows all the prophecies and how it's being fulfilled. And that's what he wants for his disciples, both men and women. You know, that 40 days with him between the resurrection and the and, and, and the ascension and then 10 days later Pentecost he's grounding them in the scriptures he's promising this them the spirit and then he's saying uh, I've got a job for you to do and yet we recognize that when Jesus died on the cross and uh, he hadn't risen yet there was this disillusionment mm. and defeat yeah. in the disciples mm. you take mm. some time in your book in one of your 40 passages uh, to talk mm. about how the disciples eventually understood what their mission was like the penny dropped mm. and uh, yeah. give us some insight here because we might all appreciate where we might be in this too when we uh, when we f- uh, begin to appreciate what our purpose is in light of God's purposes well, this is the, the great encouragement for those of us who are, who are made in the image of God, but at the same time know our frailty and our brokenness. Because, you know, rightly so, we think of the cross and the resurrection, then we jump to the coming of the Spirit, okay, and then this amazing movement of churches and disciples emerges. But between the cross and the resurrection, are some people who really, you know, all of their hopes are shattered. You, you go on the Emmaus Road in Luke 24, and, and, and there's a couple of disciples there, and they're devastated. You know, the, the apostles are going back to fishing or collecting taxes. This ought to encourage us that before, often before the true empowerment of the Spirit and the fulfillment of God's purposes in our lives, comes that surrender out of brokenness. Now, Jesus never sinned, but in the wilderness, you know, he defeated the enemy through his weakness. He could have just blasted Satan out of the water, you know, but instead he surrenders to his father when he knows the result of that will be the cross. And so it seems you look at Paul's life or any of the great um, men and women of Scripture, there'll be key moments like Abraham um, on the mountain offering up Isaac, not knowing, you know, hoping that God would raise him from the dead if he's got to take his life. You know, this is it's a very hard under, to understand event. But in that, 
God is testing his heart and Abraham is surrendering even at the risk of losing the, the child of promise. And so it's not the whole story of our lives, but at key moments we're going to have to find him in weakness. And Paul says when you do that, you'll discover his power. Steve, let's put ourselves into the picture here and how we find and discover or how God's purpose in us is revealed. I wonder whether you've got a, a your own journey's story here. How has this book that you've written and all the research you did for it, how has it changed you? Well, I think it gave me a way of understanding my frailty as a human being, the, my, our tendency to, to drift and need the Lord to bring us back to his purposes, not just by us trying harder, but us discovering his goodness and his power to change us from the inside out. You know, I remember we, one of the stories we, we drop into is, is uh, Jonah being sent to the Assyrians. I mean, these are brutal, bloodthirsty <laughs> monsters. You know, they boasted about the, the grotesque things that they inflicted on men, women and children after they conquered them. And so, you know, the Lord says, OK, uh, you know, head for the Assyrians. And, and uh, Jonah says, well, no way, Lord, I'm, I'm heading for Tarshish, which is sort of, I think, as far away as he could think of. Might have been sort of the coastal area of what's now Spain. And God goes after him. You know, so he's not just a reluctant missionary, he's a disobedient missionary. But God pursues him. And there in the, you know, the belly of the whale, um, Jonah finally cries out to God. And then the call of God comes to him a second time. That encourages me, because I've been in that, that Tarshish place, or trying to get there. And even at the end of the, the story of Jonah, you know, the city has turned and believed. They've repented of their violence and wickedness. And, and Jonah is furious. And he's just sitting outside the city, hoping that God might still judge them. And he says, I want to die, God. I want to die, you know. Um, and, and, and the story finishes, the event finishes with God saying, hey, shouldn't I care for such a great city? as Nineveh, with its 120,000 people, I think. And even God says, for the cattle, the livestock. That, um, and, and this is the heart of God, that he's, his biggest challenge is he's got to convert the missionaries. <laughs> but he, in, in, in his love and graciousness, he does that. Now, Jonah's got to experience pretty tough ex things, in order, you know, God's discipline and his judgment is meant to drive us to his mercy. And so I, I look back over the course of my life, I'm a granddad now, and I see, okay, there are those times I drifted, those times that, like, like Jonah, I just didn't want to get back into the battle. And yet God has pursued me. Um, and yes, he's disciplined me at times, but that's to bring me to his love and his mercy. So I'll serve him from the heart. And that's exactly what, you know, I feel that's, that's lights have gone on because that story is repeated right throughout the scriptures. 
So when we read those stories and appreciate the frailties of the people who are in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we can see ourselves in those frailties because uh, this little bit of uh, turning the spotlight on our shelves and seeing the frailty in our own hearts, that helps us to assess where we're at and what difference it makes when Jesus comes and uh, brings a restoration and back to this image once again, the brokenness of who we were and this way that we're on a journey towards wholeness. There's something there that you yeah. appreciate in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the pursuit. So when you come out of the 40 days, Steve, mm-hmm. uh, the other mm-hmm. side of the 40 days, and I'm just thinking, you know, there's so many yeah. thoughts. I'm thinking Jesus and his 40 days in the wilderness and coming out in the power mm-hmm. of the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. I mean, yeah. what happens going through a 40-day mm-hmm. challenge like you're presenting? Yes. Well, in, in the wilderness, he learns to surrender to his Father's Word, to depend on the power of the Spirit in the wilderness and the baptism. And he learns that the core task, the core mission, is for him to die and rise again for the sins of the world. And out of that, he's going to launch a movement that will go to the ends of the earth. Now, not everybody goes to the ends of the earth. Most don't. But they're part of a movement of God's people who have the ends of the earth uh, in their vision. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, you, you look at what, what does Jesus do? Right when he returns in power, how does he start this thing? He finds a bunch of teenagers slash young adults and he says, come follow me, make me your Lord, and I'm going to teach you how to fish. And people think, oh, that's evangelism. No, it's not. It's making disciples. It's, um, you, know, te- you know, forming people into new communities of faith. Because Jesus is never about just getting a prayer of commitment. He's about, we're going to learn to make disciples. And disciples, Matthew 28, is teaching people to obey what Jesus has commanded one step at a time. And I'm just thinking for me personally, Neil, I, <laughs> I'm the world's worst evangelist, at least in my mind, and disciple maker. You know, I've got all the ideas, but as Michelle, with my, the first book I got published, she said, it's a great book, Steve, but when are you going to do something? And I, 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 wanted, I, I wanted to be offended, but the trouble was that God was speaking to me through my wife. You know, so I said, okay, Jesus, and this is the promise. Come follow me is the command, the promise to teach others to follow Jesus, to fish for others is the promise of the risen Lord to every disciple. So it's not just for pastors and missionaries and evangelists and extroverts. So I've just said, Lord, teach me and start with, you know, with people who are close to me, who I love and, uh, I won't go into all the details because this is going out on public radio, but someone very close to us, after a year of, of, of meeting together and reading the scriptures together and letting him, the scriptures do the work, asking discovery questions, finally he's, he's uh, turned and believed and we've baptized him in the ocean about a month ago. And uh, now he's pursuing Christ in, in a community of disciples, and he's sharing the gospel with others. Now, 
there's no way I could do that. Even though I may sound on the radio like I'm articulate, at least in certain areas. But in terms of, um, you know, sharing the gospel, making disciples, I feel like I'm all thumped. And yet God will change us. And the most important thing that's on Jesus' heart is that the gospel, this is what he says in Luke 24, this gospel for forgiveness of sins and repentance, it's going to the ends of the earth. And people are not just going to get converted, they're going to learn to follow the Lord Jesus, obey his word, and they'll do that in communities of the Spirit. Um, And this is going to happen all over the globe before he returns. Good stuff happens through the obedient believer in spite of our frailties and our inadequacies. And as you say, you know, I'm, mm. I feel like I'm all thumbs, even when it comes to what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm a, a disciple maker, a disciple builder. But you're actually saying, well, yeah. hey, I'm, I'm not sure I'm the best at this, but I'm just doing what God has called me to do. So we're taking in, calls. In fact, it, it, yep. it's not just in spite, but Paul says, and we drop in on Paul, he says, it's because we lean into the power of God when we're weak that our weaknesses actually drive us to Him. And so they're part of God's plan, that we would find His power in our weakness and we would see what He can do. Uh, Chana, just a few moments here on the order of uh, this idea of getting into God's grand plan and purpose and being a disciple. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the question I'm asking on Facebook, do you think we uh, do you think we Christians are better disciples when we understand God's grand plan and purpose? Well, Ant responded on Facebook, says, how about asking the question in reverse? Make disciples mm-hmm. and then we walk in God's grand plan and purposes. What are your thoughts for Ant? Well, I think for, for Jesus, the you know, the Great Commission makes it clear that the, the discipleship's at the very heart of it. And now we want to be careful, too, that when we Christians hear the word disciple, they're thinking, okay, that's taking existing believers really deep. Whereas for Jesus, it's taking a, a, a bunch of rush, rough and ready young people and taking them on the road and immediately giving them something to do despite their limitations, their failings, and the like, and to change them as they begin taking steps of obedience. So you can't be made as a disciple unless you're on mission, saying, Lord, through me I want the gospel to get out, and I want the people in my world to hear about Jesus and turn to him. That's how Jesus makes disciples. He just grabs people who aren't ready and takes them on the road. Um, Sure, in their own backyard, sometimes not everyone, but sometimes, you know, further afield. But, you know, you think of the woman at the well. What qualified her to be the first missionary into her her village? Well, she she met Jesus. Could this be the saviour of the world? And she rushes in and she's got a story to tell. And as a result, a village turns and believes in the Lord Jesus. And that's what Jesus does. Um, you know, what, what was Jesus' plan for the Decapolis, you know, 10 pagan cities? Well, I'm just going to cast demons out of a, a crazy man <laughs> and then send him home. Um, and so discipleship is just really, you know, Matthew 28, it's taking in response to the gospel. 
it's taking that next step of obedience to, to Jesus' command. We are taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Matthew in Albert Park in Adelaide. Hello, Matthew. Welcome along. Thank you so much. Welcome, Christian brothers. I, I heard a ding, uh, like a bell. Is that a signal that you got a caller waiting on the line? <laughs> I, I'm not I heard, sure what you heard there. Yeah, I, I heard a ding, but it's a good idea. Anyway, um, I, lo- I love listening to the people talk about the Bible, and I do believe the more you know about the Bible... It fortifies you as a stronger Christian, just like knowing the road rules. I heard a, a bloke the other day, a gentleman, say he didn't know that he had to put the blinker to turn around the big roundabout in Adelaide into Equitable Terrace when he turned right because it's two lanes. Of course you do, because yeah, they don't know if you're going to the left or to the right. And it's a big roundabout. I think they've got lights there because I'm totally blind. And the other thing, gentlemen, I do believe that God cares about every soul and does not wish to anybody to be lost because of, he says so in the Bible. And then, of course, the parable of the, uh, the sheep that was lost from the 100. But what I loved what you talked about was the 40, how prevalent it is in the Bible. 40, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus walked into the wilderness for 40 days. Then he, he rose from the dead and then he stayed on earth for 40 days and then he... On the uh, 50, was it the 50th day, he rose to heaven. No, that was Pentecost. 40th day, he rose to heaven. And it's mentioned many, many times. I think Moses went up to the mountain. That was 40 days yeah, that he went up there to get the Ten Commandments. Matthew, so, you're making some great points here, but let's get a response from Steve. And, uh, you know, there's a certain sense in which that 40 is important. We were talking a little bit about that. Uh, mm. Also, this idea of, uh, you know, obeying the road rules. What are your thoughts for Matthew here? Yeah, I, I think the, the Scriptures are, are a, a great sort of guardrail around uh, our behaviour or anyone's behaviour. But Jesus said, hey, we search the scriptures, um, but make sure you know the scriptures point to me. And so it's that living relationship united with him through the spirit that enables us to go that journey of learning to obey his word and blessing comes as, as we obey him, as he teaches us through everyday life. And one of the most effective ways of making disciples all around the world we're learning this is a simple discovery approach where you know we read a, a, maybe a story from the gospels just a bite-sized piece and then we just ask you know what do we learn about god what it, what do you learn about uh, people or yourself in this story what does the story challenge you to do how will you obey what you've learned this week and then you pray for one another and that simple, you know, with a little bit of variation on some of the questions, we're seeing movements everywhere from, you know, the Texas prison system to the mountains of Nepal to, you know, boardrooms in London. Um, because people are taking, are just taking the word of God, they're with others, they're asking those discovery questions and the Spirit's making it alive to them. And they're taking just the next step of obedience to Jesus. It's, it's life-changing. 
Matthew in Albert Park in Adelaide, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. There's still time to join in our conversation if you're very quick. Hey, let's talk transforming the city for a few mm. moments here mm. because uh, some of us will be thinking, well, it's great to have Vision Radio on in our town or mm. in our city. Mm. And uh, there's a certain sense in which this is a wonderful ministry that helps to uh, raise up that level of maturity in people. Mm. But uh, listeners to this program, will know that I love to champion the cause of the local church because it's believers yeah. who relate together in their local community. And uh, you've got mm. some thoughts on transforming the city too, haven't you, Steve? Yeah. We've got to make sure that it's always the overflow of gospel disciples in community. And so the gospel always has to go to those places. And you look throughout history um, you know, uh, you, you're not going to find many hospitals in India that were uh, founded by humanists or atheists. You know, uh, so many of them are founded by um, Christians who who have heard Christ all to to love their neighbour, and that's true of you know educational. Some of the the typically the greatest universities, whether in the UK or the US, um, Harvard, Yale, you know, they were founded as Christian universities. The danger is to make social transformation the end goal rather than the overflow. So what is central, Jesus makes it really clear, Matthew 28, uh, Luke 24, it's the spread of the gospel that leads to repentance and faith and discipleship in community. And sometimes that leads to social transformation. There are many examples of that uh, throughout history. But how many cities did Jesus transform? How many cities did Paul transform? You know, Paul didn't stand before Nero to advise him on economic policy. He stood there in chains, awaiting, you know, possibly his death. So just as likely, maybe even more likely, is going to be hardship and persecution. So when we get social transformation, it's a gift from God. Don't make it an end in itself. Because when God transforms the universe and there's a new heaven and a new earth and a new humanity, you know, that's the other side of his judgment. His judgment will fall upon the world. And, and it says you've got to get out there. You've got to go share the gospel and make disciples. And so blessing will come. But if it doesn't come, then we're just going to go back to what Jesus taught about persecution and we'll learn some hard lessons. If that's what we're headed into, Certainly, where wherever the church is growing dynamically in places like South Asia or uh, underground in communist nations or, or other religious nations, um, you know, they're seeing hardship. Um, but there's fruit. There's life. People are, you know, stepping from darkness into the light, from death into life. And um, the overflow of that... Will Less communities, but it's not an end in itself. Transformation of the city is good, but our role mm. in all of that is discipleship. And, uh, you know, when you said uh, how many 
cities did Jesus transform? I know you say in your book, in your day 18 uh, section, mm-hmm. Jesus' mission in his three years, 175 towns and villages of Galilee, mm-hmm. only mm-hmm. 200,000 people lived in the region. And so there was mm-hmm. Jesus' immediate mission to those yeah. who he was called to serve then. Hey, we're running out mm. of time here, yeah. and I wonder whether if we were wrapping up things and mm. bringing things to an understanding where uh, listeners might be able to have a takeaway from this about... I, I heard a wonderful uh, quote on the weekend uh, that we're called not just to believe on Jesus, but mm. believing what Jesus believed. And I guess when we connect mm. with the Scriptures... This is what's transforming us, yeah. believing what Jesus yeah. believed. How do you describe that, perhaps, in in relation to the idea of God's purposes and uh, being obedient to what we're called to do? Well, he gives the secret of this in, you know, his last uh, uh, discourse to in, in, in the book of John, you know, chapters 14 through to 17. You know, the secret of his amazing life and ministry is abiding in his Father, Abiding, abiding in his love, abiding and obeying his word. And so Jesus doesn't draw this distinction between loving obedience and, you know, love or obedience. He's saying, no, it's loving obedience. And the key to that is I'm united with my Father. And he draws us into that same relationship with the Father. He promises us. And that's you know, people can go this journey. I mean, you can go it without my book. The thing to realize is the risen Lord Jesus wants to take you on it. No matter what book you're reading, if you're in the scriptures, he's risen from the dead. He wants to minister to you and help you find your part in God's story. Wow. Abiding in the vine. And, of course, I wish our conversation was a little longer because uh, we've got to tie some things together here. But uh, you love to talk about the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the idea of being drenched in God. And uh, listeners will need to get a hold of your book to hear your thoughts on those things. But Steve Addison has been our guest. His new book is called Your Part in God's Story, 40 Days from Genesis to Revelation. Now, you can simply Google that and you'll find how you can buy the book, but you can also get it from Steve's website, movements.net. Now, Steve, you're an author of a number of books. This is just your latest one. Mm. I imagine Mm -hmm. that people will be able to go to your website and they'll be able to click on your little store there and you've got all your books there for sale as well. Uh, But this one, this one, certainly, movements.net. The new book is called Your Part in God's story, and the challenge is there for you as a listener today, 40 days from Genesis to Revelation to take part in that challenge, and it might just be the thing that transforms you into that disciple that you've always longed to be in accord with God's purposes for his people. Steve, wonderful getting your insights today. Thank you so much for taking that time to share those things with our listeners today on 2020. Thank you very much. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.